You're listening to a news report podcast from thebodypro.com, the HIV resource for healthcare professionals. I'm Miles Helfand, managing editor of thebodypro.com. On August 6th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Maraviroc, the first of a new class of antiretrovirals known as CCR5 antagonists. Maraviroc has been approved for use specifically in treatment-experienced patients. The drug, which will be marketed under the brand name Celzentry, is unique not only for its mechanism of action, but also for the manner in which clinicians will have to determine whether the drug is a good fit for their patients. To get the bottom line on the what, why, and how of Maraviroc, I spoke by phone with Dr. Joel Gallant, a professor of medicine at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and one of the leading HIV specialists in the United States. Dr. Gallant, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure. So, we've got a new drug. So tell me, what is it that makes Maraviroc so special? Well, this is the first, first of all, it's the first oral entry inhibitor, which uh, means that uh, an entry inhibitor is a drug that keeps HIV from getting into the cell. Um, and the only entry inhibitor we've had so far has been um, enfuvertide, also known as T20 or Fusion, but that's an injectable entry inhibitor. And so this is the first one that's available uh, by mouth. It's also the first in a class of what will be what are, are known as CCR5 inhibitors or uh, chemokine antagonists. There's a lot of different names that are used for this class of drugs. But the idea is that uh, the HIV virus first binds to the CD4 receptor that we're all familiar with, and but then it has to bind to a co-receptor or a chemokine that's also on the surface of the cell. And there are two co-receptors, uh, CCR5 and CXCR4, and some virus uses CCR5 and some virus uses CXCR4 and some virus can use both. And what this drug, uh, what Maraviroc does, is it blocks binding of the virus to the, C- the CCR5 co-receptor. Uh, and so that prevents the, the virus from getting into the cell. So it's, it's uh, the first oral entry inhibitor and the first in a class of CCR5 inhibitors. Now, you had mentioned that it was an entry inhibitor like Fusion, but how is it different from Fusion? Well, Fusion is an entry inhibitor, but entry inhibitors, that, that's a pretty broad class because there are several stages of entry. So the first step is binding to the CD4 receptor. The second step is is uh, binding to the uh, co-receptor, or the, uh, CCR5 in this case, and then the third step is fusion, which means that the the surface of the of the virus uh, uh, fuses with the the membrane of the CD4 cell, and that lets the RNA inside the virus get into the cell. The fusion inhibits that last step, uh, the the fusion step. So the CCR5 inhibitor is acting at the the previous step. Um, And uh, so although they both prevent entry, they do it in completely different ways. Okay. So that takes care of the technical stuff. Now let's get down to, I guess, the practical brass tacks. What type of HIV-positive person is going to benefit the most from this drug? Well, this is um, an interesting question. And and unfortunately, because of the way it works, we can't get away completely from the technical stuff. Um, this is this drug is really um, unique if, uh, among other HIV drugs in that um, it's not going to work for everybody's virus, um, 
And that's not because of resistance, but because of what we call tropism. So as I mentioned before, some virus gets in through the CCR5 co-receptor, and that virus would be blocked by, by Maraviroc. Some virus gets in through the CXCR4 receptor, and that virus would not be blocked by Maraviroc. And then you can have virus that um, is either a mixture of the two or, or individual virus particles that can get in through both co-receptors. Now, the only people who are going to benefit from Maraviroc are people who have whose viral population is entirely composed of virus that gets in through CCR5. We call that R5 virus. And to know that you have R5 virus, you have to do a test called a tropism assay. Um, so this is this is something new. We've never had a drug before where you had to do a, a special test just to, to find out if that drug was going to work. Um, as it turns out, people uh, generally start out with R5 virus, but as things as things progress, as their CD4 declines, or as they get more experience with HIV drugs, there it comes a time when they begin to get some X4 tropic virus, and they have a mixture of the two. And so people who are going to benefit from this drug are the ones who haven't had that shift yet in tropism. They still have R5 tropic virus. Um, it gets tricky because, of course, as I said, um, you're most likely to have R5 tropic virus when, when you have a fairly high CD4 or you haven't been treated with very many drugs before. But those are also the people who have lots of good options among the you know, the drugs we already have, and they're probably not the ones who are going to want to use this drug right away. So the people who are, are most likely to want to use the drug are the people who were um, like the ones that were in the trial that got it approved, the, the Motivate trials. And those are people who already had a lot of resistance to other classes of drugs. But about half of those people don't qualify for the drug because they have, they have our X4 tropic virus. So it's a little, it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22 um, um, and that's what makes the, this, this drug exciting, but also complex. Um, there's a, a layer of complexity that we don't have with, with the other drugs. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds that way. Is, is there any reason then, given that, well, what's the, what's the percent? You said about half of people who have a lot of drug resistance, the people that were involved in the trials on Maraviroc, were unable to, to take the drug because they didn't have that CCR5 tropic virus. Right. What's the percentage for people who haven't been on treatment yet? If you haven't been on treatment, you know, now, first let me just say, we don't, we don't know whether it has more to do with your CD4 cell count or, your, or how much treatment experience you have. Um, but regardless, if you're, if you're, let's say you're somebody who's got a reasonably good CD4 count, you've never been on treatment, then your chances of, of having... Um, you know, R5 virus and, and being a candidate for this drug would be more like, you know, 85% or so. Um, so, you know, of course, there's a lot of variation in between just depending on how long you've been infected and, and that kind of thing. But, but you can see it makes a big difference. Yeah, but now this drug, it's only approved for people that, who are drug resistant, right? Right. And, and for now, that's all you'd really want to, the only type of person you'd want to use it in. Um, after all, this is a new class of drugs. It, it acts on the immune system rather than di directly on the virus. So there are, you know, long-term safety issues we don't understand yet. You have to do this this expensive test before you can use it. So it's not, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, a drug that we would want to rush to use early on until we have longer-term data. 
um, especially when we have so many great options for people who are starting therapy for the first time that have been you know tried and true and we've used over the years. So um, even though there are theoretical reasons why you'd want to use it early, practically it wouldn't make sense to do that until we have more more studies. Okay, so tell me about this expensive test then that uh, people who are heavily drug resistant would need to take before they take Maraviroc. Yeah. Well, anybody would need to take it, but of course, mostly it'll be heavily treatment experienced patients. Uh, it's called a, the generic name is just called a tropism assay, but right now there's just one version of it. It's called the Trophile assay, is the brand name from Monogram Biosciences. Um, it's um, a test that simply looks at uh, your virus and tells you uh, there are three possible options. It could be that you have R5 virus, that you have X4 virus, or that you have what we call dual or mixed virus. Now, the reason that we call it dual or mixed virus is because the test can't tell the difference between a single virus particle that can get in through both co-receptors or a mixture of R5 and X4 tropic virus. So we just call it dual mixed. And very few people have pure X4 virus. So most people are going to either be R5 or they're going to be dual mixed. And so that's what the test tells you. Um, it's a pretty accurate test, but it's kind of like resistance testing in that it can be wrong some of the time. So, for example, in the studies that led to the approval of Maraviroc, everybody had to have the test when they were screening to, to participate in the study. The people who had dual mixed or X4 virus got excluded from the study, but everybody who had R5 virus was able to enter the study. But then they did one more test on the first day of treatment. And they actually found that about 8% um, of people, uh, there were 8% of the people showed that they had R5 uh, at the time of screening, but at the time of starting the drug, they actually had some X4. And it's probably not because their virus changed, but just because the test, you know, if, if there's a small amount of X4 present, the test could miss it. So it's a, it's a very accurate test, but it's not 100% sensitive, just like a resistance test. If you have a small amount of virus that, that is uh, atypical, it may not pick that up. So would a person, then, if, if, if I've gone through four or five regimens now mm -hmm. and uh, I'm looking for a drug that's going to work, would I, take this, would I take the tropism test at the same time I take another resistance test before I switch regimens? You certainly could. You need, the informa you need both bits of information. So um, you could do the tropism test and you could do a resistance test and then determine what your next regimen would be based on the, both results because, you know, they're both, they're both very important and they're both equally important if you're going to be considering using this drug. All right. So this drug works mostly on, well, it seems almost exclusively, right, on, on people who have this R5 tropic virus. If, yeah, yeah. Well, I should, uh, you know, it's not to say that it's, it's the end of the world if you should take it and you actually have dual mixed tropic virus. They, there had been some con some concern early on that this could be a real dangerous thing to, to take this drug or this class of drugs if you have a mixture. And the reason they were worried about that was because <clears throat> we know that people who, who switch from R5 to X4 virus um, tend to progress more rapidly after they switch. The, their CD4 goes down faster, and the thought was maybe X4 virus is, is more, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's stronger or, or more damaging to the immune system. And, and the concern was that if you gave Maraviroc to somebody who had dual or mixed tropic virus, you'd suppress all their R5 virus, and you'd leave only their X4 virus, which could be more dangerous. And they've now done studies where they've given it to people who had mixed populations and didn't find that 
bad things happen to them. Their CD4 didn't go down. Uh, on the other hand, remember that when you're taking a combination of HIV medications, you, you need for all of them to work to prevent resistance from developing. And so if you, the, the risk is that if you took Maraviroc with a <clears throat> dual or mixed population, then the Maraviroc is only treating some of your virus, and that leaves the other virus to, you know, potentially become resistant to the other drugs in, in your combination. So that's the real safety concern, not so much the, that it's going to breed this, this nasty virus. All right. Well, while we're on the subject of safety, I guess, uh, let's talk side effects, since that's uh, a major concern for anybody who's uh, taking HIV medications. This, Maraviroc is, is a member of a class of drugs uh, that has had a little bit of trouble getting through the development pipeline because of various issues with side effects. And during the lead-in to the drug's approval, there were a lot of concerns raised about different kinds of side effects that it might or might not cause. What does the actual data show on that? Well, the biggest studies are these two Motivate trials that have hundreds of patients in them. And frankly, um, it, the drug looked very well tolerated in those studies. In fact, there really wasn't much of a difference between the people who got Maraviroc and people who got placebo. Um, there had been concerns from one of the, from an earlier um, CCR5 uh, study with a drug called Aplaviroc or Aplaviroc, I don't know how you pronounce it. But the, where there was some serious liver toxicity, uh, and that drug actually got stopped. The development of that drug got stopped. But um, that hasn't doesn't appear to be the case with this drug. There really doesn't appear to be much uh, in the way of liver problems. Um, there had also been some concerns with another uh, CCR5 inhibitor that's in development now, um, Vicroviroc. Um, uh, they all sound like Flintstones uh, medicine to me with the rock at the end. But um, the Vicroviroc uh, study showed that there was a, a surprising uh, number of cancers in the people who took Vicroviroc. Um, however, the cancers were all different kinds of cancers, so it's kind of hard to say that you know it was causing this, this cancer. And so far, the the FDA doesn't feel that you know it's the, these cancers are necessarily drug related and has not stopped the, the studies of this drug. But but suffice it to say that that hasn't been seen with Maraviroc. Um, so, uh, so far, uh, it looks, it looks good, but of course with any drug in a, in a brand new class of drugs with a, an entirely new mechanism of action, you know, we're going to need to see long-term data to be, to be absolutely certain. Now, the, the data that's available so far, how, how long have people been on the drug? Well, um, the Motivate trials that were presented, uh, in, uh, in Los Angeles at the Croy meeting, um, had data up to 24 weeks. Um, now, there have been earlier studies with longer-term data, but of course they have uh, much smaller patient numbers. Okay, so liver looks okay, cancer looks okay. What about some of the problems that have, well, for better or for worse, over the past few years have become very strongly associated, if not in fact, at the very least in the minds uh, of a lot of people with HIV medications being uh, lipid-related problems, cardiovascular issues, uh, fat changes. Does, is there any sign that Maraviroc might, might cause any of those problems? Well, of course, <clears throat> you know, the fat changes like lipoatrophy, uh, fat loss, uh, take a long time to develop, um, and you wouldn't necessarily see signs of that this early. Although, as far as lipoatrophy and fat loss, we're pretty convinced right now that this is due to mitochondrial toxicity from 
the thymidine analogs, AZT and D4T, and, and really haven't seen it with other drugs in other classes. So there's not really a reason to think that that would happen here. Um, in some of the studies there have been, of Maraviroc, there has been uh, at least a, kind of a suggestion that maybe it could increase cholesterol a little bit. Um, way too early to say whether that could also uh, cause you know, fat gain, although um, there's you know a lot of question even today about whether any of the HIV drugs specifically cause fat gain or whether it's sort of a secondary phenomenon due to improved uh, immune status uh, and improved health, overall health. Um, so it doesn't appear to Maraviroc doesn't appear to be a drug that's going to have a, a big increase in, in that kind of risk. There is one side effect that's sort of unique to Maraviroc, at least if you use higher doses than what are going to be used in, in clinical practice, and that is what's called postural hypotension, which means that when you, you're lying down and then you suddenly stand up, your blood pressure drops and you get dizzy. And that's seen when you use high doses of this drug. But in, in the clinical trials, it hasn't been a big problem. And then there were uh, there were some you know suggestion in some of the early studies of of maybe uh, um, a little bit of increase in things like thrush or herpes, uh, but pretty hard to say whether it certainly wasn't a striking difference uh, between Maraviroc um, users and placebo users. So it's uh, not something that I'm, I'm too concerned about. So in some, then it, it sounds by and large like things are pretty much looking okay, but it's still sort of, what, a wait and see? Yeah, I, I think we have to see, and that's that's why we're not going to be rushing to use these in, in people who have other options. You know, it's interesting because um, we're blo this drug is blocking CCR5, which is a part of our immune system, and and none of our other HIV drugs do that. They all act on, on you know, on the virus or parts of the viral life cycle, but they're not acting on, you know, on, on aspects of our immune system that might be necessary. Fortunately, um, we actually have a human model of, of CCR5 depletion. There are people who are genetically, uh, genetically lacking in this CCR5 co-receptor. We believe that the reason for that is because, uh, for whatever reason, not having that co-receptor helped to protect people from uh, the bubonic plague during the, the plague years and the Black Death uh, uh, epidemic uh, during the Middle Ages. And so there was sort of a, a, a selection of people who had that deletion, and especially in Northern Europe. Um, and those people seemed to live perfectly normal lives without much in the way of, uh, of medical problems, despite not having that co-receptor. Um, <clears throat> so it, uh, it gives us at least some reassurance that you can do okay without without that co-receptor. Um, but of course, blocking it is different than not having it, and uh, still, still going to want to see what the what the long-term data show. That's right. There was the CCR5 inhibitors made headlines a year or two ago, didn't they? When there was there was a bit of news about West Nile virus and how people who don't have that CCR5 receptor were more prone to what was it having brain-related problems? Well, yeah, and that's the interesting thing because that is the, as far as I know, that's the first human disease that's been associated with having this this uh, mutation in CCR5 is that you are more likely to get seriously ill with West Nile virus uh, than you would if you had the CCR5 co-receptor. You, you may, you're probably aware that, that not having the CCR5 co-receptor also, in addition to uh, 
preventing you from dying of the Black Death or the, the, the bubonic plague. It also makes you um, uh, more resistant to HIV infection. So if you're missing the, the co-receptor entirely, if you're homozygous, meaning you have two, de two deleted genes, two defective genes, then you, you're, it's pretty hard for you to become HIV positive, to, to become infected. And if, you're only, if you only have one of the genes that's abnormal, then you can get infected, but you progress more slowly with HIV. So good news, uh, lower HIV risk. Bad news, don't get West Nile virus. And, and whether that's going to have much to do with the use of the, the drug is completely unclear. Will, will, would Maraviroc make you more likely to get sick from West Nile? We just can't say. So then what other, what other questions are remaining about Maraviroc? Well, I think, um, you know, the main one, of course, is long-term safety and, and durability of the effect, of course. Um, but I think we're going, we are going to see uh, clinical trials of CCR5 inhibitors in treatment-naive people for, as a first-line therapy. So, uh, you know, that's going to be an important uh, uh, kind of data to, to get. I, I, I guess I would just... Um, uh, say that um, one of the other questions is how will doctors and, and other health healthcare providers uh, deal with the need to incorporate a new blood test in in managing patients? So, you know, HIV is already pretty complicated, and we've got you know we've got uh, monitoring of CD4 counts and viral loads, you know, genotypes, phenotypes, virtual phenotypes. Now we've got the HLA B5701 assay to look for a back of your hypersensitivity, and and now we're throwing in another test that's um, that's uh, you know expensive. It's not very complex in terms of interpre interpreting it, but um, you know it, we're we're simplifying therapy for people with HIV, but we're making it more complex for healthcare providers. And I don't think that's going to be a big deal for HIV experts, but I do think it's it 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 continues to make it harder and harder for non-experts to be managing this disease. And I think we need to be aware of that. And, um, you know, to me, it's an argument for why everybody should be uh, cared for by somebody who's a, an expert in the field. Would you know offhand if there are any plans uh, for, like, AAHIVM, the, the organization that provides certifications to physicians-to-be to practice in, in HIV, for them to incorporate education about CCR5 inhibitors and this, uh, this tropism test into their training? Well, certainly the, the, the training that they do and, and uh, training provided by a lot of groups is always being updated. And um, certainly there, there will be, this will become a part of the, the, the training. The, the American Academy of HIV Medicine has their um, self-directed study guide, for example, and they have their exam, which will almost, I'm sure it will incorporate information on this uh, on this test um, but uh, you know tra training and uh, is is one one aspect of it or the other is just experience and 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 also uh, uh, the the time I'm not I'm not too worried about you know HIV experts I think already even even before the drug was approved HIV experts were you know aware of this drug coming aware of the test many of many people were you know, already kind of planning on, on how they would use this drug and when it became available, and it's been available through expanded access. So uh, I think they'll do all right, but I, I do think this, this raises the bar for people who are trying to manage HIV along with lots of other, other conditions in, the, in a general type of practice. 
interesting. Now, speaking of expanded access, we have no idea yet of what the cost of the drug is going to be, but you mentioned that the test for it is probably going to be expensive. Is, is, there, any, is there any indication that healthcare providers or health insurance companies or AIDS drug assistance programs might balk at the cost of this drug? I mean, I know that, I know that the ADAPs, uh, they, uh, many of them had issues with Fusion when it first came out. Well, yeah, but it's a little tricky because with ADAP, they're paying for drugs. They're not paying for tests. At least that's how it works in Maryland. So, so ADAP is only going to pay for Maraviroc, and it's, they're going to say, well, it's up to you to figure out how to pay for the test. Um, and so tests get paid for by either by insurance or by Medicaid or, in the case of uninsured people, by Ryan White funding. Uh, our concern is that we get, in our clinic, we get an X amount of, of money from the Ryan White programs per year, and we can use that for lab tests and, and visits and things like that. But if we run out in September, we're done. You know, and so if you've got to suddenly have to add a test that's um, that's quite expensive, uh, you know, you're going to use up your pot of money faster. And um, you know, so the and, and ADAP is is not it's a it's a different pot of money. So the, those kind of questions haven't been answered yet. I, I think. It, at least in the beginning, until we figure out how to do this, it clearly will mean that we're not going to be ordering this test. It's certainly not going to be a routine screening test. And some people have said, well, maybe you should get the test before you start treatment with any combination, and even if you're not using Maraviroc. And the reason for that argument is that, you know, once your viral load is undetectable, you can't you you can't get the test. So it, let's say you start somebody on regimen X and they they do well and have undetectable viral load, but they have side effects and they switch to regimen Y and then they have side effects to that. And now you say, well, maybe I could use Maraviroc, but their viral load is undetectable. You didn't get the test before you started, and so you're not going to be able to use it because you can't get the test. And But the problem is that would mean you doing this test in everybody, uh, even though you know only a small proportion were going to actually use the drug in that the cost would be prohibitive. I'm sorry, did you just say that the test, that if you had an undetectable viral load, you would not be able to take the test? Yeah, I should have mentioned that before because it really becomes an issue. Um, it's, it's a lot like a, a resistance test. You have to have enough virus to be able to amplify the virus to be able to do the test. And, and this is something I wanted to bring up because I know, you know many patients of, of mine and, and of, of other doctors who are taking uh, Fusion, for example, you know, it's a great drug, and it's helped them and, and really made a big difference, but but they, you know, usually don't like the injections, and they don't like the injection site reactions, and they've been waiting for a new drug to come out that they, so they could get off the Fusion. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm worried that a lot of people are going to think that they can just switch to Maraviroc, but because the test requires detectable virus, you know, requires a, a reasonably high viral load, um, if you're undetectable, you can't get the test, and therefore switching from Fusion to Maraviroc would be a, quite a gamble, because uh, you know you might have a 50-50 chance of, of losing control of your of the of, of the virus because of exotropic virus. Well, as a physician, would you be willing to take that risk? Would you? Would there ever be a case where I mean, let's say a person can't get access to that test, and they whether undetectable viral load or not it's not a great situation with their treatment, would you do Maraviroc just to see if it works? I would be very nervous about that. I, I mean, if uh, if I had a patient 
with undetectable viral load on a fusion-based regimen, I'd be, I mean, it's, to me, switching to Maraviroc without being able to get a, a tropism test is like kind of like flipping a coin with their virologic control. And the downside, of course, is if you, if you lose the coin toss and the viral load goes up, then you may have developed resistance to uh, some of the other drugs in that combination and then not be able to suppress again. I think the only way I'd let somebody do that is if they told me that, you know, there's no way they were going to take another day of Fusion no matter what I said, and the only, you know, this was 50-50 chance was better than, than nothing, and I might go along with it. But, um, you know, there are other drugs coming. Um, Raltegravir, the, the Merck integrase inhibitor, is already available in expanded access, and that doesn't have those same issues. You can use this that drug in, in anyone. There's no tropism issues to consider. And so... You know, I would feel more comfortable seeing somebody switch from Fusion to that drug rather than Maraviroc uh, if they had an undetectable viral load on Fusion. Would it be okay to tack Maraviroc onto an existing regimen? Like, can it? Are there any risks of it interacting with any other drugs? Um, you know, we're working out all the interaction details now, but um, uh, you know, at the, it, we pretty much have a good handle on drug interactions with uh, most of the drugs that you'd be likely to use, and. You know, with the appropriate dose adjustments, um, it's it can be combined with with most of the HIV drugs. Is this, but, but tacking on, you know, adding on a drug is always a risky proposition, and certainly not something we recommend doing if your viral load is detectable. And if your viral load is undetectable, then in the case of Maraviroc, um, you know, it's unclear, you know, what you'd be gaining since you're already undetectable, and and in about half of the patients might not be working anyway. Hmm. Are there any other drugs like Maraviroc that are currently in the works? Yeah, uh, Vicriviroc, which is a, another one um, uh, being studied a little further behind. It's, it's being uh, developed by Shearing Plow and uh, is uh, another drug in the, same, in the same class. And that's it? Um, well, that, those are the two that are in clinical testing. Uh, as I mentioned, Apoviroc was... Uh, was mixed uh, because of toxicity. So, so at least the, the, in terms of the ones that are being tested in, in people now, those are the two. Okay. What about drugs for the, the other half of treatment-experienced people who would not be able to take Maraviroc? Are there any drugs in development that would hit that X4 co-receptor? Well, there are. Well, actually, the answer is no. <laughs> the class is in development in the sense that people have been working on CXCR4 inhibitors for some time. But there have been a lot of problems with the development of those drugs, and, and although we can say that the compounds that have been studied so far, they do work in that they suppress X4 virus, but uh, for one reason or another, none of them have been for, developed any further, usually because of issues of toxicity. So um, those drugs are, are years away, and, and of course, because almost no one has purely X4 virus, if you were to use an X4 inhibitor, you'd have to use it in combination with an R5 inhibitor to, to get all of the virus. So um, we're not going to see that anytime soon. And instead, people who have, you know, X4 virus or dual-mixed virus are going to have to, uh, you know, they'll take other drugs such as raltegravir or tetravirine, which is the new non-nucleoside, or other, you know, drugs that are being developed in, in uh, clinical trials. All right. So then what's the bottom line on Maraviroc? Is it likely to change the way that HIV-positive people are treated? Well, um, the, the, the Motivate trials show that it's a great drug. I mean, in, in the right people, it really did well as a, as a you know, really added something to the, the background regimen that they were using 
um, and people did much better on it than on placebo. Um, uh, remember, this is not just placebo. It's placebo plus, you know, the optimized background regimen that, that we talk about in clinical trials. So um, it was a great drug, but we have to keep in mind that it was a great drug for that 50 or so percent who, who were eligible for it. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to have a more limited uh, niche for, you know, who it can be used in. But for those people, it really is, it does look like a good drug, and at least so far, um, looks to be safe and, and well tolerated. So um, I think it's going, to, it's, it's, it's going to offer something for a lot of people, um, but it's not going to be the answer for everybody. Well, I guess we'll keep our fingers crossed then. Yeah. Dr. Gaunt, thank you so much. My pleasure, Miles. This has been a news report from thebodypro.com. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebodypro.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us at news at thebodypro.com.